Are we coming or are we going? Which is it? At what point on a journey do you stop leaving home and start going somewhere new? The answer, of course, isn't a mile marker, but a mindset. Sometimes we go on a trip just to get away, and other times the focus is on heading somewhere special. Usually it's a little bit of both. But what about right now? Are we going or are we coming? Are we living or are we dying? Which is it? You remember that line from the Shawshank Redemption, first spoken by Brooks, the elderly prisoner, and then repeated by Red, the one who followed in his footsteps, get busy living or get busy dying. Well, which one is it? The answer probably has something to do with age, but surely age isn't the whole story. What does over the hill really mean? Don't some of us live our best lives even in the final few years we have? So right now, which is it? Are we living or are we dying? Are we avoiding hell or are we embracing heaven? Which is it? A long time ago, I asked a mentor of mine, a devout Muslim, why it was he went to such considerable lengths to practice a faith I had grown to admire. Because I don't want to go to hell, he replied. But when he turned the same question around on me, I wasn't ready for it. So I parroted it back to him, the same answer that he had given to me. Looking back, I wish that instead I had said, because I want to go to heaven. On this faith journey that we are on, which is it? Are we avoiding hell or are we embracing heaven? Today, we celebrate the baptism of Jesus, and in so doing, we celebrate nothing less than the transformation of the whole human race from the sin and death and destruction we know so well to the freedom and life and flourishing we find in union with God. But sometimes I think we forget that that's the journey we are really on. Many of us, I think, are like those disciples we heard about in Ephesus, who thought of themselves as Christians, but who had never received the baptism of Jesus. Instead, They had received the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance, by which they were cleansed from their sins of the past. But still, something was missing. Those disciples knew what it was they were supposed to leave behind, but they hadn't yet discovered where it was they were supposed to go. But when they were baptized in the name of Jesus... When Paul laid his hands on them, something changed. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. As Episcopalians, we tend to eschew that sort of dramatic, spirit-fueled faith. But as Moses said, would that all God's people were prophets and that God would put his spirit upon them. Though we tend to forget it, we too were baptized, not merely to escape the consequences of sin, but to initiate in us the full manifestation of God's power. We were baptized to become one with God. In the Western Christian tradition, when we talk about salvation, we often use the language of accounting. Our sins are debts that must be paid off or forgiven. Because we are enslaved to sin, our souls must be bought and paid for. In Christ, we are redeemed. That mindset leads us to look at salvation as if it were accomplished solely in the cross of Christ, that moment when the price of our sin was paid for. We look to his death, therefore, when we want to find forgiveness. But the Eastern tradition embraces a much bigger understanding of salvation. Instead of using the language of accounting, they use the language of being, that of our nature, of ontology. In the incarnation, the word became flesh, and God united God's self to human nature. In the baptism of Jesus, the one who knew no sin took upon himself the fullness of our sin. In the death of Christ, therefore, that which is broken within all of us is itself put to death so that in our own baptism, we might be raised with Christ to the new life of union with God. We are saved, therefore, not only at the cross, but in the womb of Jesus, in the river Jordan, at the empty tomb, and in the waters of our own baptism. We are baptized, therefore, not only to leave our particular sins behind, but to enter into a new life of oneness that now exists between all of humanity and God. And in weeks like this one, when the full brokenness of human nature manifests itself in an attack at the center of our national life, I need to know that that is how God's salvation is accomplished. I need to know that salvation comes to the world not only through the innumerable individuals whose sins have been washed away in the waters of baptism, but more than that, in the complete restoration of human nature that has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ. That is the journey we are on. And we are on that journey alongside the whole human race. That victory, that renewal, that restoration has already been achieved, even if in this life we can only see it in part. 
as St. Paul wrote, like looking through a glass dimly. Even in moments when sin and evil appear to be winning, we know that in truth they have already been defeated. That truth lives within us. It lives within our human nature, united through Christ to the very core of our human being. Our hope, therefore, is not simply that the good people would outnumber the bad. If that were the case, there would always be a part of us wondering and worrying that evil might someday win. Instead, our hope is that the full transformation of human nature, which has already been accomplished by Jesus Christ, would be completely realized in our lives. That is the life into which we have been baptized. That is the hope to which we cling. That is the truth into which we have been adopted. That is the reality that we see unfolding in our lives when we look to Christ, whose victory over sin and death was won not only on the cross, but has been woven into the very fabric of our nature by the Holy Spirit in the waters of baptism. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.